0: Welcome to Paper Readers.
1: I'm Joe, that's Julie, and it's time to talk about books again.
0: Yes, it's been two weeks and we've been reading quite a lot. I'm so excited to talk about our shared read today.
1: Yeah, it's uh, definitely one of the more interesting books I've read in 2021. And based on how many books you've read in 2021, if you concur in that, that would be saying something.
0: Yeah, it was great. Okay, here's what I've been reading. Um, The first one is called The Reading List by Sarah Nisha Adams. It is a story of um, a young woman who works in a library who finds a reading list. She's working in a library purely as a part time position and as a way to get out of her house, not because she loves books. She doesn't. When somebody comes in the library and asks her for a recommendation, she basically yells at them until they go away. She doesn't have any ideas for what to read, she doesn't want to read. And then she finds this reading list, and um, the first one on it comes recommended to her by a person she's met here at the library. She starts to read this list, and then she recommends each book on the list to the customer who had come in and she yelled at him. And they start to read together, and they start to talk together. And um, he's an older man. She's very young. We see this list spread throughout the book to other people as well. And we watch the power of most of these just really classic novels, To Kill a Mockingbird, Pride and Prejudice, Little Women, um, Beloved, all those kinds of things. Um, The power of novels and sharing novels to connect people um, over different age levels, over different um, backgrounds and cultures and interests. It's a really fun book to read. I love books about books.
1: No reading, more than just a hobby. Who knew? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the next one I read is Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead. Um, I had never read anything by Colson Whitehead, and I had always meant to. And then I walked into the library shortly after this book came out, and it was just sitting there on the shelf, so I snatched it. It was not <laughs> what I expected. Um, to clarify,
1: you did check out with it. You borrowed it. I you did. didn't I truly did. snatch
0: it. Snatched it off the shelf and then checked it out with my library card. All right. Um, I I don't know exactly what I expected, and this is a book that I kind of think would probably reward a rereading also, just because it's a library book. I had to read it and get it back. Um, But it was a really entertaining crime novel about a man who lived in Harlem um, quite some time ago. It's a love letter to New York City, really. I love books about New York City as well. Mm -hmm. He lived in Harlem. He describes himself as being bent but not crooked. And... um, when his cousin, who is definitely thoroughly crooked, um, accidentally enmeshes him in um, some of the underground crime scene, what's he going to do and how does he handle it? And I was riveted the whole way through. Thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a great book.
1: Yeah, that's outside your normal wheelhouse.
0: It but. is. And I just, like I say, picked it up because I've heard so many people rave about the author. Turned out, again... I was not really expecting a crime novel, even though that's what it said on the flap. But um, I really, you really, never know. I know. I don't know. I just, I expected, I don't know. I, like I say, I don't really know exactly what I expected, but I was thoroughly enjoyed it. I read Eight Perfect Hours by Leah Lewis. I, I think that every single, yeah, every single book that I read these past two weeks came from the library. Thanks to fall break and time to um wander the shells but this is a book that i've been looking for for quite some time i read her book dear emmy blue last year Mm -hmm. and i loved it it was a beautiful book so i really couldn't wait for this one to come out partly because um the cover looks like it's such a gorgeous little winter scene the idea is that um the main characters are thrown together in a traffic jam when there's no getting out it's coming down snow Um, She has no way to charge her cell phone. He offers his car, and they spend eight hours together in this car, and then they go their own separate ways, only to find themselves thrown back together um, at odd times over the course of the story, as each of them struggle with things um, that are beyond their range of control. So it was um, both a really fun, atmospheric kind of book, and also just um, a really neat look at the way we handle ourselves and the way we let ourselves be vulnerable with other people. Leah Lewis is a really, really good author. I enjoy her books.
1: I feel like I've read a lot of novels with that conceit that you take a group of people and you make them be stuck together in various hijinks ensue. Despite the fact that I've read a lot of novels that way, they tend to be really good. It's It's a really good premise to work from.
0: It's always so much fun in a book. I don't want to be one of those characters in real life, but I want to read about them.
1: Right, Sure.
0: Okay, I read Becoming Muhammad Ali by James Patterson and Kwame Alexander. And you know just with those two authors together, this is going to be amazing. This was a middle grade novel that our son picked up. He's decided that he is in love with boxing. Very interested in Muhammad Ali. And so this is, this is a novel. Um, it's written in two voices. One is the, the um, prose version. The prose part of it is the voice of one of Muhammad Ali's best friends growing up. And then all of Ali's point of view parts are written in poetry by Kwame Alexander. So it's really, really good. Um, It meshes the two parts together very well and gives you a picture of what it's like not only to grow up in Louisville in that time period, in the segregation of that time period, but also to be somebody with Muhammad Ali's drive and belief in himself and commitment to working in this chosen pathway. We both really like this book.
1: Well, and you remind me, I've been meaning to read Jonathan Igg's biography of Ali that came out a year or two ago. He's a great biographer, did a good Robinson book, did a good Lou Gehrig book, uh, and that's one that's kind of been on my list. Uh, I may try to get to that sooner rather than later, Mm -hmm. but you know the problem. There's always a million to read. I know.
0: That will be a good one. Yeah. The last two I read, um, the first one was called So We Meet Again by Suzanne Park. Don't think I'd ever read anything by her before, but it's entirely possible. Um, This story was um, a young woman who worked on Wall Street who ended up losing her job unfairly. She moved back in with her parents' house and decided to resurrect her YouTube cooking channel that she had um, let sort of die on the vine. And she gets help from her childhood nemesis, who is also back home for unspecified reasons. And it's a sweet little romance story as well. I liked it a lot because of, I really like following stories about independent businesses. And this was her (laughs) building that business pretty much from the ground up, what all those things look like, and also is a cooking channel. So there was a lot about food in here, which I always find really fun. The last one I read is called Well-Matched by Jen DeLuca. I think I have talked about all three of her novels on this podcast at some point or another. Her first one was Well-Met. Her second one was Well-Played, maybe. Um, But they all are set at a fictional renaissance fair in Maryland. (laughs) You always laugh when I say that.
1: I, I just find it funny that those things exist, and I say that with all due respect for all forms of nerddom. I'm not pretending that mine is any any better or worse, just different.
0: Oh, I'm just telling you, when things calm down, we're going to a Renaissance Fair. There <laughs> are uh, There's at least one that's not far away from here, and we're going, and you might go in costume. I'm not sure yet if you're going to go in costume.
1: <laughs> I'm kind of sure, but... Uh, but. Anyhow.
0: Mm, We'll see about that. But we're going anyway. This just sounds really cool. This is another love story. Um, Her books are always open door romances um, with people who meet in some way related to this Renaissance Fair. And at least part of the book will be set there in the woods at the fair. This one probably had um, the least amount of text space devoted to it. Because both of these characters, if you'd read all of the other books... Both of these characters were pretty well established. Um, they both appear constantly in each of the other two books. So all that was really left here was to put the two of them together. Again, a book that I've been looking forward to for quite some time, and it didn't let me down. If you um, are interested in reading smart romances, this might be one that is for you.
1: And if you're not interested in going to a renaissance fair, apparently hide it from your significant other. Or
0: You want me to go by myself?
1: Doesn't doesn't sound like that's my best idea,
0: <laughs> considering do how that. all these
1: people are hooking up at the Renaissance forever, so, so
0: You I'm, better get yourself a kilt, and come on.
1: Oh, Lord.
0: All right, what's your, what, what are you reading? Uh, I
1: read a book called The Local Boys by Joe Heffron and his brother. I'm trying to get his brother's name. I believe it was Jack, but I'm working off the top of my head here. Um, I actually met them. I had a uh, book event with them this book came out in 2014 and maybe fighting words was out then but i did a uh, event with them at books by the banks in cincinnati uh, nice guys the the whole point of the local boys is their their brothers and their reds fans and they did a book about every local dude who ever played for the reds um i love the idea the execution this this was my problem with it and I say this and say, for some people, this will be a blessing. To me, it was a little bit off-putting. You know, there are some of these guys are really celebrated. Ken Griffey Jr. is in here. Um, Dave Parker, I believe, was one of the local guys. But there's also going to be some guy named Burt who played in one game in 1877, and they all get pretty much the exact same amount of space. Hmm. And that's a little difficult to me. Really, a good chunk of these guys... The Reds, the Reds were the first professional baseball team, and then they had some, some rough years. They got banned from a league for selling beer at one point. I remember that. And huh. uh, so periodically it's like, well, the Reds were badly in need of players and in last place, so they grabbed this local guy off the sandlots and he played in four games and was never heard of again. And I'm like, A, this is really strange, and B, I, you know the first time or two the novelty of that struck me but seriously there's a lot of these guys <laughs> who are like this and I'm like, isn't this that it's is just
0: baseball right it,
1: it was then apparently it, anyway if you're a Reds nut, you'll you'll definitely enjoy it and sure. again if if you want to know more about some really obscure players there's definitely a unique opportunity here uh, but it, for the casual fan it, it's probably going to be uh, not quite as essential but nice guys interesting and very unique book that they did
0: Awesome.
1: I read Martin Van Buren by Ted Widmer.
0: And you loved this book because it's about Martin Van Buren, and yet you kept reading me pieces of it.
1: Oh, it was fascinating. Ted Widmer, this is from the Arthur Schlesinger series of presidential biographies, and those will help me deeply as I try to go through this quest to read presidential biographies because they did one on everybody, and these books are fairly recent, Um, but... Widmer has enough wit uh, to navigate the minefield of writing about somebody who's fairly dry and dull inherently and pointing out why they're interesting. I mean, one of my favorite parts was he's talked about how after he was president, Van Buren went back to this nice austere place he had bought in Kinderhook, New York, and he proceeded to deck it out in the most bizarre means possible, (laughs) and he compared it to Graceland at one point. Uh, So Widmer, Widmer has a great sense of humor. Uh, these books are also short, which let's be honest, that helps. This was 170 some pages.
0: Ooh, that uh, beat the heck out of the John Meacham books you were reading.
1: Right. Well, and I mean, for Thomas Jefferson or John Adams, there might be five, six, seven hundred pages of interesting stuff. I, I started looking up Martin Van Buren and couldn't find anything in the local public library. I had to ILL this one. Uh, but. This is definitely the option. I've got a William Henry Harrison one picked out. I went outside the box a little bit because between Jackson and Lincoln, there's this pretty dull period where there's not going to be a lot of great biographies. Um, But I found one about the campaign of 1840 when Harrison was elected. Since Harrison was president for 30 days, talking about his election is probably more useful than talking about his presidency (laughs) because there really wasn't anything to talk about. He gave a a speech, got sick, and died. So...
0: (laughs) That's kind of a downer funny. from that standpoint. That's not funny, but...
1: But uh, but I'll, I'll mention the name next time. I'll be working on that. But it's a book about the 1840 uh, presidential election. And again, since Harrison really didn't have much of a presidency, I think that's a, a reasonable accommodation. I'm, I'm tinkering with my ground rules a little bit. I mean, this book was not conceived solely as a biography of William Henry Harrison, but I'm going to count it because there's probably not very many of them. Awesome. Awesome. But anyway, Martin Van Buren, Ted Widmer, definite thumbs up, one of the better ones I've read so far. On to Harrison. Uh, Band of Brothers, Stephen Ambrose, by popular request. Oh, yeah, Nathan (laughs) told
0: you you should read this.
1: He did, and he was completely right. Um, He has
0: good book taste.
1: Yeah, incredibly interesting look at a particular company uh, during World War II. (sighs) The thing that stands out when you read any of the really big histories of that era, of the greatest generation, as one of those books is actually called, is I, there's just something different about people who came up then. Maybe some of it was the Depression. Maybe some of it was that World War II, more than probably any other American military engagement, was a righteous war. Um, but... I mean, the, the, the company that this book talks about, I mean, I'm not going to give you too much of a spoiler here, but basically the nature of this book is they train up really hard. They get thrown, they get to go jump into combat. They fight incredibly bloody difficult situations. they come through really well. They get a brief break and then they get thrown right back in and rinse repeat for the duration of world war two. Um, But but I I love the the ending of the book, and this is a mild spoiler, I guess, but it it, it really sums up the book. Um, This group still keeps up with each other, and there's a newsletter that they have or had, and one of them told a story that his grandson came over and said, were you a hero in the war? And he said, no, but I sure served with some.
0: Oh.
1: And... I think most of these guys would have said the same thing and the funny thing is that overlaps they were all heroes they were they were remnants of a unique era in America of a time when the social fabric was really changing I mean let let's not ignore the obvious if you were a poor kid in the 1940s my grandfather, this, this could have been his story because he was the same way. This was, a, this was a way out. This was an opportunity to see something different, to have a way to advance yourself, to go places, to meet people, to learn things you never would have learned otherwise. Hmm. And you paid a high price doing it. Uh, I mean, and, uh, you know, I mentioned my grandfather, one of the, I would say, funny. There's nothing funny about it. I mean, he passed away before I was born but found out a couple years ago that he was a prisoner of war in a German camp for several months in 1945. He didn't come home and talk about that. He lived it. He didn't, he didn't need to recap it with anybody. But, you know, the, these guys had unique opportunities. They put it, themselves into unique risks. The camaraderie that they had together really shines through this book. And that was a big part of the trust and the relationships that were forged there with some really special dudes.
0: Sounds like a great book.
1: Yep, so grateful for the recommendation. Enjoyed it, glad that I read it. Uh, read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, not a first read, read it with our daughter who proceeded to finish has- this and grab his next book that was on my yeah. shelf and attack that on her own. So She's
0: just taken off with him. One night we were in the car and I said, hey, you've got to quit reading and she, shut her book and glared at me and said, this is an excellent book. Like, that was going to make the lights start coming on again. I love it.
1: She she loves his analytical approach. It it really, I think, speaks to the way that that she thinks. And, and of course, Outliers is about uh, people who are unique successes, perceived geniuses and whatnot. And and Gladwell goes a long way to destroy the myth of the genius. Uh, He's got his own... Theory as to why people succeed, and it's a mixture of of their resourcefulness and the unique opportunities. Not unlike these guys in World War II. I mean, you know, seriously, this was this was a situation that's partly forged by their own exceptional heroism and partly forged by being you hate to say in the right place at the right time because these guys. He went through some harrowing things, but they really were. To, to become who they were, they were in the right place at the right time.
0: Which sounds like it leads us into talking about our shared book.
1: I believe it does. Which is,
0: we read Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr. I talked about it a little bit last week, but Joe, do you want to kind of update us since you have now read it most recently and give a summary?
1: I read it. Uh, it's the second Doerr book I've read. I read his other novel, All the Light We Cannot See. Um, which
0: is also beautiful.
1: Yeah, and... and if you picked one over the other, I think you'd be defensible either way. The, this book is when
0: I when I read this one, and I finished it. I thought, no, I don't like it as much as all the light we cannot see.
1: But you're coming around on. But it, I'm aren't coming you? around. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. I did the same thing. Cloud Cuckoo Land is epic in scope. It is three stories rolled into one. It is uh, set in Constantinople in the the 1400s in the United States, I believe, specifically in, in Idaho in in 2020. Yeah. And in the future.
0: On an intergalactic spaceship.
1: So the three stories come in together because they all relate to this ancient Greek myth, which was copied down and then weathered and then thought lost and then found again and then translated. And and it
0: follows for each of them their unique discoveries of this story. Um, Which, you know, you've read... When you read a book that takes hold of you, it's like you are the first person who has discovered this book, that it is something brand new. But it's really cool in this story to see the way that it has been new again and again and again, and you can only assume will continue to be new in the future.
1: Right. Well, and and I think we both hold Doer in a very high regard. What makes him different than the average bear, you know?
0: Um, his writing. Outstanding writing. Um, The way that he can both speed time up and slow it down with his um, careful choice of words. The way that he creates characters who are whole human beings. Um, And in fact, their whole humanity is always what is central to his stories. Um, But yeah, for me, honestly, it's always the writing. I feel like this book was really, really hard to read at times there was so much sadness in this book. Well, so
1: was All the Light You Cannot See. But very, very similar there.
0: His writing was what had me holding on and turning page after page because this is not a short book.
1: No. no I mean, it, it's about, what, 600 pages or uh-huh, so? I yeah. mean, it's, it's hefty. Yeah. But it flew by. Both mm-hmm. of us read this book quickly. Um,
0: the other thing that always brings us back to Anthony Doerr is his characters. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, his characters are always outsiders. He doesn't write about it from an insider's point of view. They're, they're around big happenings and big events, but they always see it from a bit of a remove. Uh, but yet, inevitably over the course of his books, his characters are going to be confronted with some big moral choices. And the way they decide those choices really defines their existence. But the beauty of the book sometimes is that we've spent so much time with those characters and we understand those characters so thoroughly. They may please us or displease us, but, but we know who they are, I think, about as well as they do by the time it comes to, to making those choices.
0: So that their choices do feel inevitable. Um, and yeah, they, they are choices that are grown up out of the fabric of who they are as people. In this book, my favorite character was Omer with the little boy who grew up outside of Constantinople and his outcast. Um, he was an outcast because of his face. He was born with a cleft palate in a time when there was so much superstition about that.
1: Right.
0: And your favorite.
1: I like the, uh, the librarian. I call him the librarian. He really wasn't a librarian. <laughs> no. He kind of was de facto a librarian in 2020. Um, He's an old highway worker, I guess. He's uh...
0: Fought in a war. Yeah, um, yeah. Lost his parents early. Right. Loved the Greek myths in a time when they pretty much were dead to, like, I mean, they're you know what I mean. They're Like, nobody else was studying them or yeah. reading them. Like, today we would read them in high school. But right. they, that was, it was a whole different thing. I
1: mean, it spoke to him at a time when there wasn't a lot that was speaking to him, man. And, yeah. and we'd, if you're a book nerd, you've been there. You know? Oh, yeah.
0: That's yeah. why you read.
1: You know, one of the things we said, we were talking about this, and you said that Doerr's characters are both trapped and redeemed by who they are. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a really good way of hitting at what we're kind of talking around here.
0: They don't see anything they do as heroic. We don't necessarily see what they do as heroic, because it the, the same things that have held them up for their whole lives are the things that eventually have the opportunity to save them.
1: Well, uh, one of the things I come back to thinking about that is the line from the late, great Jim Boughton where he says, a hero is an optimist, isn't it? I mean, isn't (laughs) that really all it is? (laughs) And, and, you know, the the characters in Doris books, this and the other that I read, uh, they're gonna get dragged through some things, but at the end of the day, uh, they find a reason to believe uh, in each other, in themselves, in humanity, in an old story from thousands of years ago that they still don't know half the pieces of.
0: This um, is a book, again, that we checked out from the library, as pretty much everything has been lately. But this is a book that we're definitely going to buy because it is a book that I believe will also be um, improved upon rereading. I felt kind of bad when I had to quit reading it and hand it over to you because there were so many parts that I felt like I had hurried through. Mm -hmm. It's not a book you read for plot. And so I had just rushed through trying to hang on to the situations, and I need I need to reread this book. Yeah,
1: yeah. And honestly, I read it again. I'll probably read all the light we cannot see again just because I am wrestling with, like, which which one do I like that? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that one is more straightforward and A to B to C. But at the same time, Cloud Cuckoo Land, even parts that are set in a future that doesn't yet exist, it's it's oddly haunting and unforgettable.
0: This is a book you kind of had to work for a little bit, especially in the beginning to pay attention and follow all the different characters and the plot lines and the timelines. Yeah. Um, but it's so worth it. Mm-hmm. So it was, worth
1: it. It was a keeper. Well, we, uh, we talked some about a common read for next time, but as we've left it, we don't have one, so check It'll back. It'll be a
0: surprise.
1: Well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll share it on the social media, so follow there.
0: Yes, absolutely. As soon as we figure it out, I'll we'll get it posted. You can check us out on Instagram at Paperback Readers Pod. You can check us out on Twitter at Peaback Readers Pod. And if you have any thoughts about Cloud Cuckoo Land or any suggestions about what this next shared read should be, as we are kind of at an impasse, you can email us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com.
1: I've got an idea, but I'm not gonna say it because then, then I'll jinx it and, and we'll just we'll leave it there. Check the social media. Uh, but keep reading. A lot of good stuff to talk about next time. You, you got anything particularly that you're excited about coming down the pike?
0: See what the library has when I go oh, back you, next week. You get week. so many.
1: I'm, I'm working on uh, on several good books myself, but we'll we'll save them because if I say them, then I've got to read them first. So <laughs> anyway, until next time, thanks for listening.